What's up, Military Millionaires? I'm your host, David Prey, and today we are doing a very unique episode with Steve Sims, the author, best-selling author of both Blue Fishing and Go for Stupid, who I would best describe as the man who can accomplish the impossible, right? I think that's probably the way that he's known. He makes the impossible possible, and some of the examples of that we will talk through today. Book Blue Fishing, I found as a phenomenal read, and I recommend that you check it out. I'm in the middle of reading Go for Stupid which is about achieving incredible goals and, and setting big goals for yourself. Blue fishing is about how Steve was able to essentially accomplish the impossible, right? And so he's done some pretty cool uh, feats. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let him dig into that as we talk. But the reason that I'm excited about this and the reason that this is a unique episode is, is twofold. One, this is the first time that I've recorded an episode in 200 episodes where we've gone live in the Facebook group, live on YouTube, at, all at the same time. And two... Well, I'm just really stoked to have Steve on the show. This is this came about because literally last week I was I had Steve's name up on a desktop browser on my computer to reach out and see about having him on the show. And at lunch that afternoon, my buddy Paul and I were sitting at lunch and he's like, Yeah, I had this guy Steve Sims on my podcast today. And I was like, Oh, you gonna make an introduction? Cause I think you should make an introduction. And here we are. And so uh, I'm stoked because this is this is uh this is gonna be a lot of fun. So Steve, thanks for uh thanks for joining me today. It's a pleasure. I'm 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 up early. I got my coffee, so I'm ready. <laughs> I guess I guess that's true. It is it is early uh, there on the West Coast. So I appreciate you Early-ish, joining me today. Yeah. So uh, you want to give a quick backstory on your on yourself, and and uh, I mean we'll we'll dig in a little bit on your story here and and what we're here to talk about. But share some of, share some of the stuff that makes you. Uh, I don't even know where to begin. I mean from. <laughs> From being a bouncer like, in Hong Kong to making the impossible possible. I mean, the, the stories that you've got are just crazy. So, look, the for anyone out there that's now getting all built up that this is going to be interesting, <laughs> let me let you down easy. It's not. Um, I'm the exact same as, as you lot, you know, um, and I can be guaranteed on that, even though I've got a sexier accent. We, you guys are all aggravated. I'm aggravated. If you weren't aggravated, curious people that wanted to be better in life, you wouldn't be listening to this show. You know, that, that, we can call that out straight out of the way. But as I was growing up in East London, as a bricklayer, I was curious, unfiltered, unrefined, big and ugly biker. So it, it, there was a lot of contradictions. And it came across as not violent, but agitated and angry and, and fierce. But as a youngster, I was like, you know, why are those people rich and I'm not? Why are those people driving around in fancy cars? And of course, everyone, you know, no one goes to the England for, no one goes to England for its fine weather. So most of the time I'm on a building site getting shit on and rained on. So I'm like, how come they have it and I don't? And so I went on a mission to try and get to know affluent people. I learned very early on, without realizing I learned it, learned it, that you get further by being in the right room. Surround yourself with other people that are either just as agitated or can help you up the ladder. You know, kicking around with a bunch of poor people ain't going to get you anywhere. How do mm. I know that? Because I was poor. You know, you, you sit in front of a room full of poor people going, hey, I want to do this one. And they look at you and go, Ooh, you stick to your lane, grow up. Oh, don't get your head out of the sky. And all that other shit. But I didn't have that. I went out on a mission to try and hang around with affluent people. Now, if you want to hang around with affluent people, 
you got to bring something to the party. You've got to show up with some kind of value. Now, if someone's got a fancy car, give them a tip and trick on how they can really polish the car up to a brand new standard. You know, make that engine last longer, make that tires last longer, whatever, but give them an asset. And then all of a sudden, they welcome you into that circle. And that's what I did. I couldn't afford to pay my way in, so I used to bring value add. And the good thing is, we've all got these little phones near us now that we can actually find out about someone and go up to, like, I could say to you, Dave, hey, Dave, you know, I I, I want you to introduce me to so-and-so. There's my ask. But hey, before we get into that, I know she got a podcast and it's a really good, but I was wondering, and you mentioned Cameron Howard, love Cameron, you know, hey, you talked about Cameron, would you like me to make an introduction? Oh, by the way, do do you know this person? Hey, what about Brandon? Would you like me to get Brandon involved? You know, I, I build up my assets and I bring them to you. Now, I'm no longer Steve Sims asking for something. I'm an asset. So I wanted to see how far I could take this. And I took it quite far. I ended up working with the Vatican, the Pope, uh, Elton John, Elon Musk, Richard Branson. You know, I haven't worked with Jeff Bezos, but there's less people that I haven't worked with than those that I have worked with in the billionaire world. Worked for Ferrari, Cartier, Piaget, Tiffany, the biggest brands in the world. But all the time, it was because I carried curiosity. And that curiosity led me to go, I wonder if everyone else is doing this. And I wrote the book Bluefishing only to realize that people are ignoring the simple shit. You know, there's a problem and people go, oh, you know, I've got a problem here with my marketing and my advertising and my clients. I've only got a budget of $20,000. So how many adverts can I get for this? And you're like, why are you focusing on doing the adverts rather than focusing on the referral network that you've got within your Rolodex and in your phone. So Mm. I go for the simple shit that works. And I was stunned by the planet that didn't do that. And then of course I wrote my second book and that brings us up to where we are today. And, and I, I love the way that you say that. So, I mean, it's, it's the, the example you gave just leads into exactly what I think led to a lot of the success, which is that you're just a natural connector, right? And maybe not natural, but you are a connector whether natural or not. And which is, which is cool to me because I, I consider myself to be, when people ask what my superpower is, not that I would say I've utilized it as much or leaned into it as hard as I should, but I love connecting. There's not a whole lot that brings me more joy than making an introduction and watching both people win. And I just love it. And, but I love the way that you framed the value proposition there where you didn't say, that you went to the guy with a really nice car and said, Hey, how could I add value to you regarding this car? You said, I provided tips on wax or engine maintenance or making the car faster. You came with an idea of how to add value and just gave it to them. Cause I think there's this people hear value add and they, I hate when no, I shouldn't use the word hate because the intentions good. Right. So, but when people come and they say, Hey, how can I add value to you? And it's like, Oh, let me, it's, it's, it's like, let Jeff me more. A stop. friend of mine's got, he's got a saying on this. He says, why is your intention now my problem? And I <laughs> yeah. love it. I, I actually love people and people do that to me. So I'm just warning you, if you're thinking of doing it, people email me, text me, message me, and they go, Hey, how can I add value to your life? Or what can I do for you? And so I turn around and I go, and this is horrible, but this is what I do. 
Well, my dog took a shit on the lawn this morning. <laughs> if you could run over and clean that up, I'd appreciate that. And they're like, well, that's not <laughs> what I do. Then what the fuck is it you do? And start trying from there. You know, again, don't make your intention my problem. Yeah. Because that's, I mean, you're essentially, you're asking that person to stop and think through like, well, I don't know your skill sets and I don't know what you're good at. Let me find a problem and hope you can solve it. So instead come and say, Hey, this is what I'm good at. Let me offer it and just help your life be easier or whatever. Um, I'll tell you a true story. All right. And, and, you know, tell me to move if this isn't the way you want the podcast to go, but this is a true story. I was trying to get hold of this Silicon Valley venture capitalist because I wanted to get into his circle. I knew he knew all of the people in Silicon Valley that were part of Twitter, Uber, Instagram for everyone, you know, and I knew that if I got into his circle, I'd have more billionaires to work with. I always preferred to work with billionaires because I could therefore know that they could pay my price. Okay. (laughs) If you're dealing with poor people and you have to start adapting payment plans, you're in the wrong market. So I always marketed with people where, Price wasn't the the topic, value was. Mm. So that's the drop bomb for a second there. I like it. So I wanted to get this guy, and I wanted to get him on my side. And so what I did was literally picked up my phone, Google searched the guy, and then I went on to images, and I looked at where all the images. Now, if all of his images are him with a horse, hey, he likes equestrian. If all of his uh, pictures are him cooking... He loves cooking. It's very easy, but I use the images to get a sense. And then I try to follow the social to see what they're on. Now, a lot of affluent people, they use social as a marketing tool. So do I. So their real life's not on it. So I was trying to find out, and I found out about this charity that he was involved in. In fact, his wife was on the board, and he went along to it. So I bought a ticket. And I went along and I had found that he was working on a couple of projects. So here's a little tip for you. Psychologically, people like threes and fives. Okay. Hey, I've got the three steps that can do this. Or I've got the five ways you can do X. Now, here's the dumb thing. If I give you the two ways or the four ways, you don't trust it. But you trust three and five. I don't know why, but you just do. So we were looking at this project that we found out he was involved in. And we did a little, in the office, what could go wrong with this? And we found two problems that could potentially derail his project, okay? Couldn't come up with a third. So we dug, and we dug, and we dug. And one of the girls came up with, I don't like his logo. And in some Indonesian country, that logo was a negative representation. So we had really tried to come up with a third thing, and we were searching, you know. (laughs) So we found out that, oh, you're going to upset this tiny little town in Indonesia because they don't like the color. So I went to the event. I bought my ticket. I'm waiting at the bar, and I've got my old-fashioned in my hand, and I'm waiting to get in front of the guy. And he's got a bunch of his cronies around him, and he's got a bunch of people coming up and you know, blowing smoke up his ass and all those kind of things. And I didn't, I couldn't be around that. I had to wait till my time. So all of a sudden, you know, the cocktail reception started easing down. People started heading over to our tables and he started getting empty. So I confronted him and I walked up to him. Now, you're a big fella. When a big guy suddenly starts walking up to you, you kind of notice he's coming in, (laughs) you know? 
So there's me, 240 pound of ugly. I've got my old fashioned. I've got, I'm locked on his eyes and I'm coming at you. And you could just see him kind of like, fuck, who's this, you know? <laughs> and I went up to him. Now listen to this, because this is, this is critical. Hey, my name's Steve Sims. You don't know me. That's critical. Most people in any kind of power, profile, uh, influence, they don't know who you are, but you know who they are. So when you walk up to them, that stood there going, uh, is he looking for a selfie? Does he want me to endorse his vacuum cleaner? You know, what's he? that's all going through. So let the person off the hook go, hey, I'm a great fan. You don't know who I am. And just let them off the hook. So I went, hey, my name's Steve Sims. You don't know me. But I do know that you're working on this project. And the funny thing is, we were writing a case study in our office. And we came up with three ways that this project could go wrong. Just wondered, would it be of interest for us to run those past you, just in case you haven't noticed them? I haven't asked him for anything. I'm now looking at his, and he was like, yeah, okay. Now, his bunch of goonies around him have all kind of started to lean in from either side of him, staring at me. And I went, well, actually... Number one, blah, 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 I can't even remember what they bloody were. <laughs> number two, blah, 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 whatever that was. And number three, you're going to piss off a small Indonesian town because of the color, you know? So it was a real stretch on number three. And of course, everyone <laughs> laughed on number three. But this is where it went wrong. He started laughing. And then all of his goonies started laughing. Now, the Goonies didn't know why they were laughing. He was laughing, so they were just following him. They're looking at me, laughing at me. Now, that's not cool. So I'm like, oh, well, can't win them all. Kind of went a bit south here. And I turned around to walk away, and he put his hand on my shoulder. So now get this. He's laughing at me. His Goonies are laughing at me. Now he's got his hand on me. You can imagine, I'm like, this needs to change quick because this could get ugly fast. Yeah. So I'm kind of, I've got a bit of a side eye on the guy and I'm starting to feel a bit kind of like, all right, you know, carefully your words, mate, you know, just where's this going? And he turned to me and said, please, please, I mean, no, uh, no harm or, or no um, uh, rudeness. He said, but we shut that project down six months ago because of number two that you mentioned. He said, do you know what's funny? None of these pricks could see that. But you walk up to me in a bar and you could see the reason we had to shut our company down. Now, they shut up. They stopped laughing. <laughs> and he looked at me and he went, I never go back to a project. When it's dead, it's dead. And I move on. But I do like the way you look at things. Would you be willing to be on a retainer where I send you projects and you let me know what you think? Now, I've been with this dude for five years, and every year I get two, I think the most I've got is three projects, which are beyond me. You know, they're like splitting atoms, speeding this up, this technology, these APIs, shit I don't understand. But I've always maintained, if you can't explain it to an eight-year-old, you don't know what you're talking about. Mm. So I will literally get this, and I'll be like, well, that makes sense, but I'm confused here. But I see where you're going with it, but why does it have to include it? And I just literally write almost like a homework assignment, a one-page email, send it to him, and he's like, that's brilliant, great. I've been on payroll with that guy for like five years now. That's awesome. Just because I actually walked up, 
used a phone to get the information and came up with three stupid reasons why his company would fail. <laughs> but that, I mean, that just, it's a perfect example. I mean, that's such a creative way to add value to somebody that's, I mean, just brilliant in and simple because it's simple. It's exactly what we're talking about. It's the human shit, right? It's you finding a way to, you know, solve somebody's problem or help somebody, you know, with a problem they have. So, you know, it's funny, we mentioned Brandon earlier and we're both friends of Brandon Turner or whatever. One of the reasons that I think Brandon and I are, are friends instead of just people that know each other, like pure dumb luck that I happened to, I was in the Marine Corps for a long time and I, I happened to be stationed in Oahu and he came to Oahu, posted he was doing a meetup and I was like, oh, I got to go meet this guy. I bought my first house because of his book. And so I go and I shake his hand and I didn't want to fangirl. So I was like, hi, I really like your book. And then I met, talked to this other guy named Doug who long ponytail surfer dude. And he was a Navy guy. So he and I talked the whole time and uh, he teaches people how to surf now. So Doug, Doug invites me to go surfing on Saturday. I get out there and I figure out Doug's actually why Brandon was on the Island. And so I end up surfing with Doug and Brandon all day. And so we had lunch and whatever, but Brandon, this was when Brandon was looking at moving to uh, Hawaii in that next year, I sent him a couple houses to look at. He ended up moving to a different Island, but at one point they had bought a, a car on Oahu and they couldn't find like an affordable place to just store the car. And so I was like, dude, I got an extra spot in my garage on base. Just park your car in my freaking garage for like four months. And so he did. And then when they moved to Maui, I was like, yeah, man, I'll just drive it across the Island and ship it to Maui for you. Like no big deal. And whatever. And I mean, we've been buddies for like, it was funny. Cause he came to spoke to my mastermind two months ago and somebody asked him like, Hey, what did Dave have to do to get you on the, to come speak to the mastermind? And the answer was like, I just started laughing because I was like, I texted him, yo, you want to come speak to my mastermind? <laughs> and he said, yeah, email my assistant. I'm like, he's, he's a, He does very <laughs> simple things. Brandon's a good personable person, direct person to person. And a lot of people actually are terrified of people that are that open. Um, I was supposed to do a meet up with Brandon. So I'm calling Brandon out now. Uh, I was supposed <laughs> to meet up with him on Sunday but someone had asked him to go to church, and so he blew me off just to go to church on Sunday. But Brandon's a Brandon's a fantastic guy. We all love Brandon. Yeah, yeah, he's a good dude. Good dude. All right, so we've gotten through the fact that Steve's done. I mean, dinner with Michelangelo's David, and you know, married with the Pope, and I mean playing with journey and guns and roses. And I mean, all kinds of just crazy things that you've pulled off. And yeah. so then the new book we're talking through big goals. And uh, the, the thing that I love in like the second chapter, there we go. Go for stupid. The second chapter, you're talking about like the simplest concept, which is the reason you've been able to accomplish some of this or a lot of this is because you just asked the question. And I'd love to hear if you want to talk, we'll talk briefly about some of your tips and tricks for, for goal setting. And then we'll get into uh, what you, what we're doing next week. That is going to be sure. awesome. And we'll, we'll see, uh, we'll go from there. So a lot of people, and, and you, you kind of made the mistake at the front. Uh, and a lot of people do this. They go, ah, oh, Steve makes the impossible possible. You know, he breaks the ceiling. He breaks through the brick wall. Well, all of that stuff is tense. Let's say, for argument's sake, I said, hey, Dave, let's, let's, let's start this business. 
And what should we do with it? Well, we're going to scale it up and we're going to franchise it out. We're going to move it all out. We're going to break through this and we're going to make these impossible goals and we're going to achieve them. When you start speaking like that, you become very tense. And anything tense breaks. Mm. Okay? But if I said to you, what's your goal today, Dave? And you went, oh, I want to 10x my company. And I went, let's 30x it. Fuck it. Let's have some fun. And do you know what happens? What just happened to you? I got light. You I smile. Yeah. You know, when we talk about doing the impossible, we grit our teeth. When we gamify our goals, we smile because we become a creative five-year-old. And everyone that I met, the Elons and the Richard Branson, uh, all of these kind of people, they look at it and they go, okay, we've got this problem. Why is the problem there? And how can we have some fun with it? And I remember first hearing that going, how can we have some fun with having a debt? How can we have some fun with not getting our orders out there? How can we have some fun with getting better clients? You know, But when you gamify something and you have some fun and you're willing to set ridiculous goals that the normal person will laugh at, and until they laugh at them, they're not big enough, then you don't ignite those neurons and you don't gamify it. So with me, as I was growing up, I was always like, how can we do this? How can we play with this? And I also made sure that the word impossible became my Voldemort. Now, if anyone's watched Harry Potter, you never say Voldemort. You never say that word. For me, I don't say impossible because I don't want to acknowledge it. How many times do you hear someone say, hey, we're going to do this. I know it's impossible, but hey, I'm going to go for it. Well, you've just given yourself an excuse. Mm. remove it. Hey, I'm going to do this. There you go. Leave it at that and just go for it. The education is failing. Now you, you flew by a couple of my things that I've done. There's been many, many times in my career. And just for anyone that, you know, hasn't caught up yet for 25 years, I ran a concierge firm for the richest people in the planet. And I worked with Elton John and I worked with the Vatican and Andrea Bocelli and Ferrari and formula one. I didn't really care about those things. I cared about having a conversation with a billionaire. Hey, if you wanted to have a drum lesson with Guns N' Roses, I'll make that happen. But then I'm going to get to have a conversation with you the following day going, hey, did you have fun? Oh, by the way, how do you look at investments? How do you look at retaining people? How do you own all of those kind of things? Okay. So that's what I was in. My business was a Trojan horse. I would get you front row at Milan Fashion Week but only so I can have a cocktail with you the following day and actually interview you and basically do what you're doing. I was doing that before podcasts were around. But I was always a curious kid. And kids, they don't have that fear. When they're five years old, they're curious. They ignite. They're magical. They run around with a, with a pillowcase around their neck going, I'm a superman. I'm a superhero. And as parents, we look at them and we go, Yes, you are. You can do anything. And we encourage them, don't we? And yeah. then what happens when they get to eight or 13 or 18? If that's still running around with that pillowcase around their neck, pretending it's a cape, calling themselves Superman, what do we do? We go, grow the fuck up. Know your place. Get, you know, get smart. You know, stop being a child. And we, we diminish their creativity. But if we try not to, if we step back into that curious five-year-old and we go, I want to play with Dave. I want to play with Brandon. What toys do I need to bring to the sandpit? If you keep it as primitive as that, 
you get further. And that's how I've been able to grow into the, I don't know, the connection that I am. And you did actually bring something up, which was a beautiful statement. I'm very proud you noticed it. You said that I'm a great connector, although it's not something that I do naturally, but I, I do connect. Now, when you do something naturally, that's because nine times out of 10, there's been repetition behind it to make it natural for you. You know, we walk, we breathe, we eat, we do all of these things naturally because we've learned to do them. Me, as a kind of very aggravated big fella, I had to learn how to communicate. I had to, if I wanted an amazing answer, I had to ask an amazing question. And I learned that by asking terrible questions. <laughs> and the other thing is, I'm quite an introverted person. Like I went to an event in Austin, Texas. I think it was just over a week ago. Actually, longer than that, maybe like, you know, 11, 12 days ago. I came home. I haven't left my house. Now, I've got to go and speak at an event in San Diego in two days' time. I won't leave my house until I go. And then when I get back, uh, apart from the event that we're doing that we're, we're going to talk about, I, I've got another gig in Venice in um, the 26th of April. I won't leave my house in between that. I love being home with my wife, with my kids, and with my dogs. So bottom line of it is, I connect and I've made it natural only because I've practiced it. I like that. And, you know, it's interesting because everybody always speaks in absolutes about extrovert and introvert. And I don't know that that's necessarily true. And I would say, like, I use myself as an example, right? I would People look at me and they consider me to be like an extreme extrovert. But anybody who's ever shared a room with me at a conference has gotten to see the side of me where they come in the room at two in the afternoon and I'm like, shut the fuck up. I'm not here. I'm on my phone. You, I'm on Twitter, you know, TikTok, and I'm doing nothing. Like, this is disconnect time. You leave me the hell alone for the next hour. <laughs> like, the, that I don't exist, you know, <laughs> or comes in at eight o'clock at night and I'm like, nope, it's bedtime. Like, go away. I'm recharging. <laughs> and so it's like, yeah, I'm super extrovert from this time to this time. And then it's, it's, nope, we're done now. Uh, and so I don't, I don't know, but I, I'm curious, I, you know, I'd love to hear, I know uh, that's one of the things we're going to talk about and I might as well, this might be the perfect segue to lean into uh, what's this challenge you got going on starting on the 28th, right? Yeah. So let's, for the benefit of people listening here, let's let's go back to the conversation that you were talking about because I think it's a very valuable one. It's this case of when you're left-handed or right-handed, uh, especially when you're left-handed, you have to conform. There's a lot of things that are only right-handed. You, you overcome the fact that you're left-handed. I'm a lefty. And then people look at extrovert and introvert, especially introvert, and this is what makes me giggle, no one tries to say fix being an introvert, uh, being an extrovert, but they always try to fix <laughs> being an introvert. You know, have you noticed that? And the downside is that we try to pigeonhole ourselves. If an extrovert has a really, really bad day, they hide in themselves. They will literally just go, everything's going wrong. Woe is me. They get depressed and they hide in and they become into an introvert status. And if an introvert suddenly the following day wins $500 billion on the Mega Ball, they suddenly become a party hound. So 
it's not a case of just going, this is your box, this is where you stay. Because on a day-to-day basis, you like the ocean. You move. Now, when the ocean's calm, you will revert back to wherever you are on that scale. Mildly extroverted, incredibly extroverted, mildly introvert, excessively introvert. The point is, what you've been given, you need to work with. And I've always, and you've actually pulled it up there perfectly. I personally think introverts have it better than extroverts. You see, as an extrovert, they want one thing. They want the center of attention. Okay. They want people to look at them. They want to entertain. They would walk into a crowded room, strip off their clothes if everyone would watch them. (laughs) But an introvert, and this is where you can validate this. So I'm putting you on the spot. You said that when you go to conferences and people share your room, okay? Why are you at that conference? Uh, Well, normally, uh, speaking or uh, the brand or networking, you know, learning. Okay. Whatever. There's a purpose. Yeah. That's 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 the key there. An introvert will look at the opportunity. Now, as I say, I'm on stage a lot, and I've got a funny story about one of my stage gigs in a second. I speak on a lot of stages. I think last year I spoke on, I think it was like 30 stages. You know, this year so far, I think I've got booked up like 16 stages. So, and I'm literally flying all over the planet on big stages. I've done CEO board meetings for like 15 people, and I've done 15,000 Uh, theaters. So it varies a lot. But the thing is, I look at it and go, okay, what's the benefit of me being on that stage? And I've turned down stage gigs because they're not my people. I don't have the message that I can benefit with it. So an introvert looks and calculates what's the point of me being here. Now, you've already said you go to the conference because it helps you with your brand, helps you to network. You're speaking there. There's a purpose So these introverts, they're going, oh, I can't do these things. You can when you add the purpose to it and the reason for it. If I said to that introvert, okay, you're shy. You don't want to do this. And again, we're all on a different scale. You don't want to do that. It makes you feel uncomfortable. But when you do it, it's going to impact 30 people. And you start going, ah, it's not about me. It's about them. I I had a gig in Scottsdale. Uh, I think it was uh, like first quarter of last year. And my flight was supposed to get in the night before. I could sleep through the night. I could go to the conference. I could see the temperature of the room. I could talk to a few people before I went up on stage at two o'clock in the afternoon. Okay. I'd have been fine. My flight got canceled. There was some extreme weather. We flew in the following morning, 10 o'clock in the morning, grabbed an Uber, shot over there. I'm in my hotel like about 11.30, and they brought me forward. They wanted me to go on before lunch. So I'm frazzled, you know, and I'm like, okay, okay. So I put my music in. I get kind of some good music going, get some vibe, mellow myself down, get out there, bang, go on stage, delivered. And then I came off stage, and when I came off stage, at the back of this uh, conference center, this hotel in uh, Scottsdale, they were actually bringing some stuff in through the back doors. And I could see through the back doors, and I could see over the fountain and courtyard my room that we were staying in. 
So literally, I just bolted through these doors into my hotel room and just laid down and just got myself back together. Now, I got up. I was only in there for maybe about 30, 40 minutes, just kind of like collecting myself. And, you know, it had been very stressful. Now I'm on stage. Now I'm performing. I just needed to get calm again. So I did that for 30 to 40 minutes, got up, picked up my phone, and there were like two dozen texts from my son and a bunch of other people that were at the event going, where are you? And I, I contacted my son and I said, what's going on? I've just got all of these texts. And he said, you got to stand in ovation and people were trying to get you to come back on stage. <laughs> I had bolted and was laid down in my room trying to gather myself. So we handle, we handle ourselves accordingly. We recharge a phone. We recharge cars now. But nine times out of ten, we don't recharge ourselves. So next week, if I may go into that now, next week on the 28th, on the 28th, 29th, and 30th, we're running an online free challenge where we're going to take you from introvert to influence. And we're going to get you to such a status that you're actually going to be in a position to be able to charge to speak on stage. So we're going to run through the basics of how to control and utilize your superpower of wherever you are on the spectrum, how it matters and where it doesn't matter. I got some pretty amazing guests coming in over those days that are going to impress you. And I'm not about speakers that charge fifty dollars to $100,000 that are going to come in and help you with some of the ways they do it. We're going to be focusing on your digital presence, how you show up online. And then we're going to show you the power to gain authority, how to get that credibility, how to get that authority, and how to monetize it. And we're going to run that over three days. And there's going to be a lot of information that you can just take and go. And of course, at the end of the three days, I'm not going to try and act like a chump. There's a program that if you want to get involved and stick with me for another eight weeks, you can. But you can take those three days, utilize just the basics of them into your business and into your life, and learn the art of communication and connection with purpose. Love it. And I also appreciate the fact that you acknowledge that there's something after the three days. I can't stand when people don't. We're not idiots. Every, everyone knows the game. So we know the game. If, <laughs> look, if you, but again, you can actually just, the basics are going to be there. Okay. And I'm, yeah. I'll be completely blunt. Some people are going to need to focus on those basics before they get into some kind of after program. So sign up, be there. You can go to stevedsims.com forward slash challenge. Find out all about it. As I say, it's free for three days. And of course, there's an offer. But hey, ignore the offer. Don't do it. But utilize the basics that you're going to learn over those three days. You said stevedsims.com slash. Yeah, forward slash challenge. Uh, there's only D, uh, D. Don't forget the D. And there's only one M in Sims. So stevedsims.com forward slash challenge. Cool. Just, yep. Introvert to influence. Just wanted to make sure I dropped that. That's the one. The right way. Good, good. Awesome. Yeah, I'll be there. I, I think my biggest stage so far is like 700 people. Uh, ironically, in a not nearly as rushed as your situation, but kind of similar feeling was that stage. It was only 700 people, but I remember walking up to the audio booth at the back and saying, hey, I just wanted to make sure I've got I'm going on in 30 minutes and I just wanted to make sure that I've got enough time to run to the bathroom. And they were like, 
actually like as I'm asking the dude on stage finished and they were like, nope, you're up now. And like Mike, I'm like, I got to, you know, like the old nervous, nervous piss. I'm like, I got to, they're like, nope, you're up and like stick a mic on and like rush me to the back of stage. I'm like, uh, you know, I'm like, ah, shit. And, uh, you know, it went great actually. Um, in fact, at the end of the presentation, some dude quit like a $250,000 job working for, uh, I don't remember if it was Apple or Google or some, I was like, no, I, I, my job, my presentation about how I went from W2 to full time, you know, was, was not, tell you to quit your job. Like I'm in the back. Like, I don't take any responsibility for this. Like, uh, but it, you know, it went well, but it was definitely, I can relate to how nerve wracking that is to be like yeah. in my head, like, okay, 12 o'clock. And then they're like, Nope, 1135. You're up. Like, Ugh. it is funny. Isn't it funny? You say about only 700 people. Okay. You, I, my smallest group was seven. And as I say, my largest, I think, was 15,000 or something. And you get more nervous the less people there are. And I remember I got this gig, and the gig was in Seattle. And, I t and I'd gone, okay, who's it for? Well, it's for, you know, senior executives. Okay, what's the ages? What's the demographic? What are they looking at? The one question I had not asked, because seriously, I don't think, and I'm trying to pause to make sure I'm not inaccurate here, it doesn't really matter how many people are in the audience. I want to know who they are, what the problem is, why they're there. Because if it's a if it's a if it's like a corporate gig and everyone's been paid to be there and there's a golfing event that afternoon, then they're not really into the event. They're there just so they can spend a couple of nights with their mates and go and play golf. But if it's an entrepreneurial event and they've all had to pay to be there, then they're eager for information. So there's a different vibe and temperature based on on the people. So I, I never asked how many people are there. So I get to Seattle and I get to the hotel and I'm like, okay, where's the, and I'm at the lobby. I'm like, where's the conference rooms? And they're like, they're down there. I'm like, I'm just going to wander over to the conference rooms to see if they're setting up the stage. Nothing. None of the conference rooms were being set up. And I'm like, hang on a minute. This is a three day event. I'm on day three. So they should already be in mid flow. <laughs> You know, what the hell was going on? So I t um, as I was doing that, I got texted by the lady that was setting it up. And she said, oh, you know, did you check? And I said, yeah, I checked in okay, but I'm actually down here at the moment. No one's here. And she's like, oh, no, 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 we're in room so-and-so. And she's like, you know, come on up and just say hi. I know you're on tomorrow, but come on up and say hi. So I went up there. It was a hotel suite that they just had a table in there. And I walked <laughs> in and there were seven people. And my audience for the following day was seven people. And that was quite nerve-wracking to actually engage all seven because, you know, it's a numbers game. You speak to 15,000 people, you can guarantee some people just aren't going to like you. But when you're speaking to seven, you're going to make sure that every single person's engaged or otherwise it's going to change the uh, temperature of the room. Oh, yeah. And then you've got to play the game of, like, whoever's not engaged is, is who gets all your attention and yeah, you to like pay you know attention it. to whoever's the least engaged. And like, now there's pressure in your, it's hard for me at least. Cause I'm like a, a 99 eye on the disc profile. It's like, if somebody's not engaged, I feel like I'm like, okay, now I'm, all my attention's on this person to be like, why are you not like, let me get you back in the room. Like, <laughs> yeah, it is, it oh. is tough, but that's, that's called reading the room. And a lot of people don't know how to read the room. And here, this is the other thing. 
And again, I don't, I'm, I'm not trying to force it, but I am trying to force everyone to learn it. Whether or not they do my challenge, whether they do everyone else's, I don't care. But here's the thing they understand. The ability to articulate your message, your impact, and your conversation is a dying skill set. Now, we were pretty bad with it before COVID. COVID came across and all of a sudden taught us a habit to not personally interact. There's still a ton of people that still work from home. All of a sudden, we are not as social animals as we used to be, but we still desire and need to connect. Sadly, that's why there's so many suicides, because people can't connect with other people that they can relate with and they're alone. We're not loners. Even though we're introverts and we need some alone time, we're pack animals. We need to align with other people. I was out a while back, and I won't mention their names, but I was with two very successful speakers. All of us are, you know, some scale on it of an introvert. We were having lunch for about 45 minutes. No one said a word. <laughs> and it was just comfortable just to be able to sit there in that silence. And that was beautiful. So, you know, that's the, that's the basic that's the basic line there. You know, the people need to focus on their communication because whether or not you're speaking on stage or you're conversing on a Monday morning sales meeting, selling a widget, raising some investment capital. However, the art of communication is what you need today more than ever. I would agree. I mean, I don't know if there's really any need to elaborate on that. I think uh, communication is incredibly important. In fact, I think that when people ask me what I'm really wanting to double down on this year, the answer is content, intellectual property, content, branding, mm. getting just communicating, you know, outwardly. And I think that a lot of that has to do with just communicating a message, right? And I think that branding content side of the world is just going to continue to get even more important, more impactful, more, you know, popular. And many people like yourself and, and Brandon and all these people who have an, a presence or have written books or have an, you know, our communicators understand that and communication is the, the basis for all of that. So. Well said, well said. You ended that so beautifully. We, we command attention. We write books, we speak on stages, but communication is the basis of it. It doesn't get better once you've done those things. You need to focus on that in order to do those things. Brandon realized to be able to do what he needed to do, he needed to engage the conversation, okay? After that came speaking and books and masterminds and events. And I've spoken at his events in Maui, and brilliant events. Anyone that's thinking of going to a Brandon Turner event, just go to it. Stop thinking. <laughs> but he basically understood the element of engaging an audience with impact and knowledge and help first and then built from that. It doesn't go the other way around. There's a lot of people out there going, well, it's easy for you. You speak on stage. No, I had to learn how to communicate in order to be able to speak on stage, in order to be able to get my book deal. <laughs> if I couldn't communicate, how the hell could I get a book deal? Yep. You know, so it is the basis of absolutely everything. It is your foundation. Yeah, there, there, there are plenty of people out there who, who have something valuable to share that never get a chance to because they don't know how to articulate it. You know? Yes, very correct. Yeah, it's not about... And that's the other daft thing. And that's actually something that people should look at within social. A lot of people are there at the moment, and I can pick on you. 
Um, of course. Only because you're far away from me and you won't thump me uh, until, until <laughs> well, we meet. I I got thick skin. And then you can punch me. We're, we're big, ugly lumps. Okay? It's true. But we're not sitting here going, oh, my God, how's my hair today? Oh, I've got to look pretty on camera. We're here going, hey, I've got some impact for you. And when you show up with impact and benefit to your community, they don't care how your hair is. They don't care if you're wearing the same bloody T-shirt night in, night out. If you can show up with benefit to them, then you're an asset. And when you start being an asset, your nerves, your looks, your style, none of that matters. And that's the problem today. Everyone's going on to, and you said about building content, everyone's getting onto social platforms and they're like, oh, I've, I've got to lean up against this car. Oh, I've got to look good in a swimsuit. Oh, I've got, uh-uh. Show up with value. Show up with intent. Show up with short, concise impact and benefit the, the consumer. That's when they will keep you on board. You know, you know, the old, uh, you want to look rich or be rich, you know, uh, don't get me wrong. I'm all for, I, I love, you know, when I put on my dress blues when I was in the Marine Corps or wearing a nice suit, like I like the confidence and the feel good and whatever, but you know, I do that sure. when I want to do that. Uh, but I, I've definitely the dude who has worn sweatpants and a t-shirt or sweatpants and a hoodie to dinner with friends before. And I've had friends call me out on it be like, dude, what, what the hell? And I'm like, I don't care, man. Like I'm comfortable. Leave me alone. You know, and, and jeans and a t-shirt's my thing or, you know, whatever. And, uh, it's funny because but you're you... in control of it. That's, well, that's the, the key. There is you're in control of you. A lot of people will wear a suit to become a shield or they'll, they'll spank that credit card out to get an expensive watch. You know, they've got no money, but they've got this to show off and to try and go, oh, look at me. I've made it because I'm hugely in debt on this watch. I love wearing a suit. I love dressing up and going out with a wooden wife. I'm, as I say, I'm going over to Italy next next month. I'm going to take some slacks. I like to look a bit different over there because you dress accordingly. But I'm in control. I don't need it to actually perpetuate who this person is supposed to be. I'm in control of what I wear. And that's what you're saying clearly. Yeah, exactly. And and that was literally what I told the guy. I was like, or the guys, you know, I'm like, I was like, dude, the three wealthiest people in the world or three of the wealthiest people in the world are Elon, Jeff, you know, you look at Steve Jobs, Jeff Zuckerberg, right? Like those, those four people are all super, super, super well off and they all wear black t-shirts and jeans. So leave me alone. <laughs> like nobody cares. Like, you know, it's, it's whatever, man, you know, and the old, uh, I, I just like, you know, simple, no, uh, no wasting time on decisions. In fact, one of the things I missed the most about the military was just wearing the same damn thing every day. It's like, ah, yeah, I don't yeah. Have to think about this. <laughs> but yeah, okay. I'm so I'm curious. Same. I love for that. I am curious. Not that this has anything to do with anything that we've talked about, but you mentioned a few times in your books and you know, you're a big biker guy and obviously you, you look the part. I, I need to buy a bike again. I mine got totaled <laughs> a long time ago and I, uh, you know, then I had kids and so I just haven't, haven't pulled the trigger on a toy again because I've been buying houses instead. Every time I go to buy a new toy, I buy a house. And then I'm like, oh, I'm going to buy a toy eventually. Eventually, I'm going to get to a place where I'm like, that's enough houses. Now I can buy a toy again. But uh, but I'm curious how you became so big into biking when you alluded to growing up in East London where the weather's shit all the time. And I got rid of my bike when I totaled it here in Missouri because I started riding when I lived in San Diego. 
when I moved to Missouri, I was like, this place sucks to ride. The weather's all mm. over the damn place. Like if I'd grown up in London where it rained all the time, I probably would never have gotten on a bike. Well, that was back in the days when motorbikes were the cheaper form of commuting. So I had a motorbike because I couldn't afford a car. I think at the time I never got involved in biking because it was, you know, beautiful. I had these shitty bikes that basically would start whenever they were. They're real temperamental, you know, <laughs> shitholes. Kickstarts. Um, yeah, they were just terrible. And I remember coming out from the pub and trying to get on there, just leaving the freaking thing because it wouldn't kickstart. Um, <laughs> but the funny thing happened in that as much as my aggravation then started to get get larger, I found the motorcycling took me out of my place. You see, when you're on a bike and you've got the hand-eye coordination, the hands, the feet, you're watching, because everyone on the road's trying to kill you, it's like a meditation. And I found that when I rode a motorcycle, I was calmer. Now, I didn't like it in London, and then I moved to Bangkok and Hong Kong and Geneva, and this gave me better weather. Yeah. Yeah, there was some winter in there, but it gave me better weather when it was good days. And then there was no surprise that I ended up in California where I get to ride 362 days a year because it's perfect weather. But the thing is, and here's the funny thing, I just bought a car. That would never normally be something you would announce, but I bought one of the new Ford Broncos just so I could tow and carry bike parts because (laughs) I've never had a car. I've just always been on two wheels. I've got, I think there's 12 motorcycles and... I've got a gig in San Diego in a couple of days' time. I'll be jumping on the Harley Glide. Um, I've got racetracks that I go to. I take the MV or the Ducati. So I've got all of these different bikes for different experiences. But I noticed in today's world, we can't unplug. You even jump on a plane now and there's Wi-Fi. You just can't unplug from getting contacted or a ping. But when I'm on a motorbike, I can't take your call. I can't drive through Starbucks. I can't pick up your groceries because I'm on a bike. And I get an hour where you can't contact me. And I really, you know, hey, you buy bikes because they look cool and stuff like that. But I've got to admit, it's those moments that I get to unplug that will always have me on two wheels. And I'm, I'm scared of the day when I'm too old and I can't be on two wheels. That's a good answer. I like that. Uh Especially, I mean, and kudos to you for still being on two wheels around L.A. Because I'll tell you, L.A. is the one place that I've ever ridden where I mm. about swore off bikes. Yeah, that's <laughs> the only place I've ever had a car door opening. So, oh yeah, they do that. They do that. It's uh, yeah. yes, it's a, it's a real strange. As I say, you've literally got to drive like they're out to kill you today. <laughs> but I do, uh, you know, I, I had a, a Harley, an R six, and a. Uh, I've had a couple other little toys here and there, but, uh, well, then some sports cars or whatever, but the, uh, you're absolutely right about the bike and disconnecting and the feeling when you're taking it on back roads or canyons and just yep. cruising. It's good, good, good times. And, and that might, yeah, might be worth revisiting even out here in Missouri. I urge everyone. I like some people meditate by running. Some people meditate by gardening. But I definitely believe that everyone, you know, the dumb thing is we go to bed and before we go to bed, what do we do? We put our phone on charge because you've got to recharge that phone, but we don't focus on recharging ourselves and sleeping 
is not a total recharge. You've got to take your mind off on certain things. So you've got to find something in your life where you can literally unplug from the planet and just focus on something else. That's a good way of actually doing it. A friend of mine, I've got to call him out because he helped me, a guy called Jason Campbell. Um, I was the ass that always said, I'm never going to meditate. And he's a big meditation guy. I think he's the number one uh, iTunes meditation guru. You know, he, and he's a wonderful guy. Actually, I should introduce you. It'd be good on your podcast. I would um, but Jason, I remember kind of like, you know, basically shitting on uh, him with his meditation camps and stuff like that. And I remember saying to him something like, you know, you all sit around a, a tree, hug it, and then sing Kumbaya. You know, that's not really me. Um, and I'm really just taking the piss out of him. And I, I love him. Um, he's also like, you know, got like 10 black belts and every other thing. So, you know, I knew he could kill me if he wanted to, but he asked me about my life and I told him about the motorcycle. And he said, you know, the funny thing is you're dissing meditation and you do it on a daily basis. And I really didn't understand that motorcycling was my meditation. And it, it took him to actually explain to me what meditation was, how beneficial it is to my head and to my mind. And then I was able to go, you're right. I do that. So, I don't joke about the Kumbaya anymore, but uh, yeah, we should all find a way of unplugging. I agree. I agree. And I, yeah, I'd, I'd love that introduction. I need I'll make the intro. Some meditation for sure. Steve, this has been, uh, man, this has been awesome. Not disappoint at all. Great to connect. Okay. And uh, I will be sure to push this on all the platforms, share the link, and I'm going to be at the Introvert to Influence Challenge myself. And okay. uh where else, where else uh, so obviously we'll push that, but for anybody who's listening to this as, you know, they missed the deadline, where else would you like for people to know to go ahead and you get hold could, of you? I'm at Steve D. Sims everywhere. So Easy. D for dashing and one M in Sims, but I'm on Steve D. Sims, whether it be Twitter, TikTok, anything. You know, I'm probably more active on Instagram, but I'm literally stevedsims.com or Steve D. Sims on any social platform that you consume. Well, and if you're listening to this on audio, I know you're conflicted now because he's referred to us both as big, ugly guys and now <laughs> dashing, but <laughs> dashing is definitely the way to go. You know, big, pierced, bald dude. Gotta love it. <laughs> Looks exactly out. like a British biker that you would, uh, you would everything you would imagine. No, I love it. Steve, thanks so much for joining us today. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me, Dave. Absolutely.